Well, just just on your your point, I can remember uh, years ago when Pete Foster was part of uh, the team. He preached a Sunday night sermon where he quoted uh, Rockefeller of you know who was what at that time I think the richest man in the world. And somebody apparently asked Rockefeller, "How much is enough?" And he said, "Just a little bit more." Welcome to this week's Calling a City to Life podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. We are gathered round our microphones and unusually three of us weren't actually gathered round Brody on Sunday when he was preaching. So we have all listened to the podcast episode of Brody's Sermon. So this should be interesting to see. I wonder if it's going to be like that JFK Nixon interview that it sounds different when you listen to it than when you actually witnessed and saw it. So I guess I guess we'll find out, Brody. <laughs> you don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, Brody definitely was there. So Brody was there. Brody I was, was definitely there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Ian, how are you today? Yeah, I'm okay. I think I've been fighting some kind of infection for a few weeks, so if my voice is still a bit husky, um, then it's not just that I've got a bad microphone. Uh, I've got a very good microphone. I've just got a bad throat. <laughs> no worries. Jack, how are you this morning? Well, I don't have an infection, and I don't want one, so I'm not going to go and visit Ian anytime soon. So no house visitations anytime soon. Brody, how actually are you this morning? Uh, I am, well, I wasn't feeling well on Sunday, but I'm feeling better today, so there we go. Uh, good, good, good. Now, before we get started, we did have an event on Friday. Ian, how did it go? Yeah, I thought it was just really great. I think uh, a really behind the curtains look at what happens um, in the BBC in regard to um, trying to offer a just reflection on political views. So we had um, Jerry Gay with us, who was uh, and is the editor of Question Time um, and very um, warm and conversational evening around some, some really challenging uh, thoughts. So it was good, really good. So do you feel your licence fee is justified? I know our international listeners probably have no idea what a television licence fee is. <laughs> but did you feel you got value for money? Yeah, I, I think actually, you know, once you kind of um, have another um, reflection on something, it makes you want to see, you see things from a different perspective, don't you? So yeah. Um, yeah. I think it probably will help my viewing. Um Maybe might, might maybe scream a little bit more at the television, um, but um, it might help with you. <laughs> now you now you have the contact details of the editor. You can just text them directly <laughs> and put your complaint. What, what is coming next in the transforming series? Do we know? Are we able to reveal it? Uh, no, we can't reveal it. We never reveal it at this kind of stage. But there are a couple of things in the pipeline that um, we will disclose in due course. One of the things that we always do, just always maybe just worth mentioning this, is that um, usually when we have an event, we kind of have a bit of poach match analysis. So um, we will be doing a little bit of reflection on um, on this event and and also just trying to kind of think, you know, well, what have we covered and are there some areas of public life that it would be good um to to kind of reflect on in one of these events so i think the next events will be in some ways different from what we've had we'll just try and uh, mix it up cool. a little bit good 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 grand well uh, jack you were going to say something oh no just that i watched question time on thursday night and it was a mistake i walked away at the point <laughs> that the woman was suggesting that <laughs> that free bus passes were a bad idea because it wasn't solving the obesity crisis. And I was just... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was like... I just had no words, so I left. I remember walking out going, yeah, as predicted, me and Question Time are not a good combination. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about that one. That was a particularly left-field comment that uh, bus passes stop people walking to work. Yeah, I watched, I watched Question Time as well. I did my homework because Ian had said everybody needs to watch Question Time. And then I was uh -huh. feeling too poorly to go on Friday, so I never actually got to go and ask any questions. <laughs> but please tell oh, me you had Jerry an eye roll at that point, Brody. Was there no eye roll about oh, that? Oh, I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah. I think I started to write an essay. <laughs> <laughs> Dear question time. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, well, the, the, the issue there wasn't question time, was it? It was somebody's no. rather simplistic and narrow view about something, but there we go. That's yes. for another show. <laughs> Indeed. 
<laughs> well, we'll create our own parallel series. <laughs> right. Well, let's before we before we end up trying to compete with Quest Time, let us actually find out what happened on Sunday. So, Brody, why don't you give us a wee intro to your sermon from this weekend, which was a continuation of the series on the Lord's Prayer? Yep. So we were continuing with the Lord's a uh, prayer and uh, read the wee bit beforehand um, where, uh, you know, verse uh, 7 and 8, and then read some of the verses that follow on directly from the Lord's Prayer to try and help situate the uh, petition of give us today our daily bread um, uh, in its context. And I mentioned the fantastic talk that Lena did on Thursday at the gathering and linked that to, because Lena talked about bread not knowing what was coming uh, this Sunday. And the question of when we pray for our daily bread, what is it that we're asking for? Is this spiritual nourishment or physical nourishment? And there is a tradition uh, based on a mistranslation of a Greek word that has emphasised it as being asking for spiritual nourishment. I think most commentators today would uh, say the origin uh, misinterpreted it. My kind of like, if you listen to it, I give Callum into trouble because at that point Callum was booing me because I dissed <laughs> origin. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because Callum likes origin. Um, but there we go. Most co modern or contemporary translators would... Uh, say that Jesus is, here is talking about actual physical bread. He's talking about what we need to sustain a uh, life. And that's both from kind of like sorting out the translation issues, but also understanding the context and it's particularly what follows in verses 24, 25 and 31. And that strikes me as puzzling. Uh, so I said, you know, there's a bit of a mystery here because... God says, don't be like the Gentiles who babble on because your heavenly father knows what you need. So if God knows what we need, why are we to ask for bread anyway? Um, and suggested that there's uh, several reasons for that. Number one is, is relationship. We've just called God Abba. We've just called him Father. And therefore asking him for uh, what we need um, for our physical um, well-being. Um, is part of that relationship. It emphasizes that God is provider, um, and as God is our provider, we're to hold carefully, um, but lightly, that which God has given us, because it's not just for us, it's for the common good. Um, there's a link between the bread here, I am sure, and in the memory of the first disciples, of manna, of God's provision for his people when they were in the desert. And that speaks both of God as provider, but also that God places limits um, that we need to exist within. If we remember our Bible uh, school stories of uh, there were some people that collected too much manna and it went rotten. And there's a there's a, a moral in that. Uh, Is there a song though, Brody? That tale. Because every week you've been giving us a song from the yeah, past, which I have great I pleasure know. in attaching yeah. to the end of the podcast. I, I, I don't know a song about manna. Maybe, oh well, Keith Green sang a song about manna, didn't he? And there's manna mentioned in some Keith Green songs, but there we go. I'll try and find that. <laughs> and this a. Uh, highlights a tension that people kind of like see. Well, is it, I don't know whether tension's the right word, but certainly a contrast between um, we're asking and asking for bread or for what is necessary for life. And that's caused people through Christian history to reflect on surplus, on exceeding those limits, and particularly on hoarding um, so I went to Proverbs uh, 30, verse 8b, which says, give me neither poverty nor riches, and segued from that into thinking of uh, life as a donut, that there's a bottom through which we don't want to see people fall, but there's an outer edge over which when we exceed that it's harmful to us and it's harmful to our uh, to our planet. Then went to the rest of, of that particular proverb, verse uh, 9, 
um, where it talks about if we've got too much, we deny God, and if we've got too little, we kind of deny God as well by stealing and doing things uh, like that and link that to actually what it means to hallow God's name, that hallowing God's name isn't just what we do in prayer or in song, but actually in how we uh, live um, and then landed the plane by thinking a little about shalom um, and particularly about uh, Paul's words in Philippians 4 where he talks about having learned the secret of contentment. That he's known what it was to have nothing, to have been hungry. He's known what it was to have plenty and to have a full stomach. But in all circumstances, he's learned what it is to be contentment. And the challenge for us to live from that place of contentment and as a community of shalom that reflecting back on this is our bread, so this isn't just about me, but it's about the community of which I am part. And in there, I mentioned something about jealousy and judgmentalism, which breaks or erodes away, eats at the work that the Spirit is trying to do in bonding us together as his people. Great. Well, after that 60 second summary, uh, I hope you enjoy the three and a half hour podcast that's about to follow. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so let's start. I did enjoy, I did enjoy you uh, basically saying that Origin was wrong. Thought that was very brave of you. Uh, I could hear the hissing and booing in the audio uh, <laughs> from your son. So I look forward to speaking to him uh, this coming Sunday on his opinion. Just how much, so the, the, the phrase is translated in yield in terms of it as super substantial, which turned the bread from being a literal bread into a spiritual uh, condition. You know, this was all about asking for your, your, your daily spiritual life. And I can imagine that part of that could have been around the fact that everybody was so poor. And so there was a little bit of deflection there that it was easy to say, oh yeah, it's not asking for physical bread because that's not actually being provided. You're all poor and starving. It's it's spiritual. It's 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 uh, over spiritualizing the situation. And if you like getting origin and others out of a little theological problem where there would have been Christians, there would have been people in general who were going hungry. How much of that over spiritualization has been carried into our current? thinking on these verses do we need to go back to basics there's a good question time go back to basics. phrase yeah, for you phrase. from yieldy politics um i mean i think the challenge isn't it, that you know i can't remember who it was that said you know there's two conversions that a christian need to experience one of their heart and the other of their wallet and there is a real challenge. I mean, I when I was working as a, a QS and things like that, of um, how how does being a Christian make a difference to how we uh, how we live and how we do things? It was noted that, that I explained who uh, Martin Lewis, the money man, is, and yet I didn't really explain who when I mentioned Stan Hervas, who he was. Um, so Stan Hervas, um, American theologian, um, quite a complex character. Um, I guess his roots are Wesleyan. I like the Wesleyans. Um, but another quote from Hervas is, Hervas says, Christians must live in a manner that their lives are unintelligible if the God we worship in Jesus Christ does not exist. What what difference does, you know, I was, I was struck with, and I, I spoke about this, of how much of how I view possessions and money and all that sort of stuff comes from my upbringing, from my parents, from other people who have influenced me. And the challenge of when I read scripture, of not reading me into scripture, but actually letting scripture read me um, and that real... Uh, that real uh, challenge. So I think there is still, you know, we, we talk about kind of like the, the sacred secular divide and there isn't one or there shouldn't be one. Um, do we compartmentalize our life? Is Jesus Lord of everything apart from um, our house and our bank balance and 
uh, stuff like that. Yeah, it was it was Luther Martin Luther, by the way, that said about the first and two conversions. I, I'll not pretend that I knew that off the top of my head. I did Google it, so you might have the keyboard <laughs> clicking in the background. Uh, Ian, your initial thoughts? Yeah, just for our listeners who are still with us, um, maybe just to remind, <laughs> remind us what we've been talking about. Um, so. Uh, there's a problem with the word daily uh, in the translation. There's a funny word, um, and there's two um, two groups of of thought. Some people see it as I mean, most people, as Brody said, perceive this to be our physical needs that we're praying for God to supply. Um, and there's a question mark whether about it whether it means today's bread, whether or tomorrow's bread, or which is a kind of temporal um, thing. Um, or whether it's the amount, so it's whether it's the regular amount that we need, the sufficient amount for for each day. Um, so I did some digging because I thought we might go down this Yay! rabbit hole, um, and um, got out my old Syriac translation. No, I didn't actually. Um, there's <laughs> show off. <laughs> no, I, I checked it. So there's some people who I think that if you dig into the what Jesus might have said in Aramaic, it's possibly closer to a Syriac translation. Sorry, folks. Um, and in the Syriac, that last listener has now gone. Yeah, I know. And that, tra- that translation. <laughs> <laughs> the language of that translation suggests that the the word that is a funny word in Greek um, is a word that means um, something to do with our economic security. So basically, it's a prayer saying, "Deliver us from the fear of not having enough." So it's about that economic fear that that fear of scarcity what we might call a poverty spirit and um, the fear that I actually will not have sufficient for the next day. Um, so that's one suggestion. This is about saying, I'm depending on you, Lord. I'm trusting on you for my, um, I was going to say bare necessities, Richard. That's another song you could actually put in your, um, your, uh, your, your put, show notes. Putting that, putting that one in, I'll definitely get a copyright strike. <laughs> the Disney Corporation will not be impressed. Um, so, yes. But I, I think whatever it means, I think that fear of not having enough is one that strikes many, many people. Um, and, you know, particularly talk about um, the kind of cost of living crisis and so on. You know, will I have enough? Will I have enough? to pay this bill will enough to ha- pay that bill and certainly for a lot of the people listening to Jesus that would be their the reality of their daily experience they wouldn't be on a, a wage check at the end of the month or anything like that or you know have a regular bank balance And I, but I think also many of us that, that fear of scarcity that fear of poverty can be a really grinding um, just psychological anxiety as well as something that affects how we how we live and um, just how it affects whether we feel that we have the resources to be generous. Uh, and sometimes people, you know, are never secure enough in their own resources to feel that they have for others. So I, I'm, I'm taking that as a personal challenge mm. out of it, whether it's the right translation or not. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think, you know, when this was being spoken, there was no charitable sector. Mm. There was no welfare state. There were not even any churches <laughs> at the point. There was the synagogue, and that was maybe where you get help. So it was obviously speaking to a, a very different uh, culture than some of the safe nets. Not not saying that the safe nets work in our culture, but they they at least exist, even if they don't necessarily work. So yeah, uh, really speaking to a, a fear. But maybe I don't appreciate is there in the text. It's amazing what you can get out of two words, daily bread, spoken for fifteen and, minutes and two things. And and bread was the mainstay of of the diet. I think um, because a number of the disciples are connected to the fishing community. Certainly, I, I you know I had in my head at one point of you know everybody's eating fish all the time and it's a great diet. That wasn't the case. Um, archaeological evidence actually shows that fish was a tiny part of the common diet that most fish that ordinary people would eat 
had been ground up into a paste, which helped soften and make more palatable the really hard barley bread which the poor people could afford. So you weren't even eating nice wheat bread. It was poor barley bread, and that was supplemented with fruits and olives and, and things like that. But the diet was really poor. Um, and we know that Jesus' background, because of the offering that his parents give, um, they give, they give the, the poor person's offering when they go to the temple, that Jesus isn't coming from a place of, of wealth or abundance. Um, so these, these are, the, the, in general, the people that he's, he's speaking to. It's not so much a cost of living crisis um, as just a crisis of, of bread. Bread is hard to come by. And we know that in the ancient world, there were frequent bread riots because harvests failed and, and supply issues and, and things like that. So um, this is, I think, you know, Ian's, Ian's right. This is speaking really into that anxiety. And the word, you know, don't worry is used several times around, is there enough for me to live on and survive? Jack. That's quite nice of you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'd quite like to come back to the daily bit in a minute, but I have a kind of a reversing sort of part to do here because you read verse seven. You didn't actually make a comment about this, but you read the verse. So I've decided it's fair game to ask you a question about <laughs> it. So it it's, talks about not being like the Gentiles and, you know, who Babylon and repeating their words again and again. Can you help me out here with how this contrasts with Luke 18 and the persistent widow and the sort of tension, sorry. <laughs> that <laughs> I feel like Callum now. I'm heckling from the side. Callum, I'm doing your job for you. <laughs> Just that tension between what it seems to be suggesting, which is that it isn't, that it's because God knows what we need and therefore we're not needing to repeat our words and go on again and again with that parable in Luke 18 which is calling on us to be people who are persistent what it helped me out so I think fundamentally here part of the challenge isn't the the number of words that we use but who we understand God to be so in one sense I think verse 7 is speaking at to a don't have a don't have the view of God that the Gentiles have so the Gentiles would have a view of of the Greek and Roman gods or local deities who were capricious. You didn't know what mood they were in and whether they were going to be favourable to you or not. So you had to try and placate them. You had to butter them up. You had to offer them sacrifices to try and get what you wanted. You had to try and manipulate God. And that's why they would babble on. Um, oh God, you're so, you know, they were buttering a God up. Whereas the beginning of the prayer, we're reminding ourselves of who God is um, and the primary um, lens through which we have to see that is God is, is Father. Um, God is Abba who cares for us and provides for us. That there is a, a stability to the character of God that it's not a case of when we come to him we don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in or how he's going to react to us so god is dependable um and yet that allows us or so that allows us to be persistent um in our in our asking um not that we're badgering god because i think again of <laughs> there's a lot going on that we don't see isn't there that when we pray for things and that God moves all this stuff going on in the spiritual world that we don't see, but also that what we are asking for is part of a larger system. So when we pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're praying that both in our life, so in our hearts and our circumstances, but also in the wider world. So when it comes to kind of like these economic issues of give us today our daily bread and there's a famine going on, you know, so I'm not just praying about me, but I'm praying about kind of like the whole economic structure and system of which I am a, uh, I'm a part. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts there that we need to be persistent in prayer about because we're doing spiritual battle. 
I mean, I think I think Brody's hit the nail on the head. Really, it's it's about the relational context in which we actually come to God in prayer. I think you know what the babbling like the pagans is is representative of a, a transactional view that if you um, say enough of the right words, then somehow you'll tip the scales of God's favor towards you. Um, whereas what Jesus is saying here is we come to God in terms of a personal relationship. So I guess two things to say about that. One is it's relational prayer. So we come to God as God is. Um, and that is, as Brody says, as a father who uh, delights to hear what his children ask. And secondly, you know, we come to God in a realistic manner. We come as we are. So, um, you know, we engage our minds. We, we don't disengage, which is what kind of pagan babbling is being suggestive of here, that it's it's not actually bringing your real self, it's bringing the incantation. Um, so I think, yeah, God wants us to come to him, um, relating to him as he is, but also coming honestly as we are. And that, if you're in any relationship, you know, you there ought to be a level of freedom um, for you to be a bit repetitive in what you suggest and what you what you come with. I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting that nagging is a good thing, but at the same time, there is a little bit of you know things that really concern us. We would bring continually into the context of a friendship or a relationship, and I think that's that's what God wants. He wants us to express our true hearts to Him, and if our hearts are moved by the things that move Him, then we will be persistent in that. That was great and actually a very useful answer. Thank you both very much. The daily aspect of this was interesting for me to think for the first time actually on this. And in some ways it's kind of an obvious point. But when I was at school, we wouldn't have used this prayer at church a lot when I was growing up. And the place that I would have used this prayer the most was at school. And that would also not have been a daily activity. It would have likely been weekly when it was like school assembly and so on. And it was interesting to me that by implication, this is a prayer, and obviously not necessarily exactly this, but that that the attitude of this prayer and the posture of this prayer is to be used every day and, and that continual request and dependency. Um, and I just wonder if you had any thoughts on whether this was actually a prayer that we should be using as part of our personal daily use all the time. Obviously, all the time and daily are the same thing. Sorry, that's been <laughs> very bad grammar. The point is the same. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, so I would have grown up a, in many respects a similar to yourself of the Lord's Prayer was, was seen as being formulaic or whatever. So, you know, in church, we would, um, tempted to say Babylon, but that is, other, that is other connotations, given what we've just spoken about, of that your prayer would be from your heart um, or spirit-led. Um, and therefore, the Lord's Prayer was was something did when I, when I was in the BBs and you would visit the strange church where they did things very differently or at school. Um, and it was seen as being religious or empty. And yet I think if we press into what is it that we are saying here and what is it that we're asking for, um, then there is such a richness in this. And I think Ian mentioned this, I think, when he kicked off um, this series of if we're left to ourselves, we stay with what we are comfortable with and we can like inhabit our own wee world. But when we interact with um, liturgy um, and with set prayers like this, then it takes us place that we, places that we need to go that we didn't know that we needed to go. Um, so if I'm just left to myself, I, and an easy example, if I'm just left to myself, I may never pray, you know, um, don't lead me, um, you know, into evil. And yet that's something I, I probably need to pray or, you know, so there's, there's stuff in here that we need to pray that I naturally might not pray. And therefore it's good for me to kind of like think about what does it mean to pray this? 
what does it mean, even just in that opening of of to remind myself that God is is Father? You know, I might have grown up with you know God is this mm-hmm. severe judge or or whatever. So to to be taken outside of myself, outside of my frames of reference, and to be challenged to praise Jesus taught his disciples have prayed to join with. Christians through the century and today to pray together. I think there's something really powerful um, in that and something really um, pedagogical, something that it teaches us something, it forms us in a certain uh, way as we engage with this. You answered my question so much better than I asked it, but it was it was exactly, you touched on exactly the, the thought that I had subconsciously growing up, which was that this was for people who didn't really know how to pray and that I was brought up in a house where we were praying all the time. And so therefore you knew how to pray. And this was more for, you know, a school context when people were really confused and lost and needed the kind of help in that way. In some ways that's overly simplistic, but it touches on a very real feeling that I had towards it about it being very formulaic. And Ian, do you, do you pray this every day? I'm being very personal. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm a really indisciplined individual, so I'm that's why it's helpful for me to get dragged back into some kind of discipline uh, that this kind of gives. <clears throat> I think just a little bit of a shout out for a book. I don't know if you can get it anymore. Um, which I think it's called something like Living in the Lord's Prayer by a guy called Larry Lee, um, and um, basically he takes this as uh, a framework for praying, a kind of jumping off point for praying and just in the way that Brody's suggested, a way of um, bringing us into places that we wouldn't perhaps normally go. So um, he's doing that not as a, you know, here's a a formulaic um, piece of even of liturgy to repeat. He's really saying, you know, this is a a spiritual life. These are kind of showing the contours of our our life, our interaction with Jesus day by day. So, this is a a way of, of relating to God and it's it's really super helpful actually. And I, I did have a period in my life where um he offers lots of ways to extend the prayer. Um and I found that really useful, particularly if I was even if I was walking or exercising or something to have a framework in, in mind. Um and just to 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 I, I think sometimes the kind of evangelical world has sacralized um, that little acronym, you know, as it acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, you know, um, and it's a good little help. But I actually think um, when when Jesus' disciples say, teach us to pray, uh, Jesus doesn't give them acts. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so I think it is much more comprehensive and helpful, actually, than the one that we normally suggest. So. Go for a biblical framework, is my advice. Always a good option. Brody, <laughs> yeah. you also um, mentioned about how prayer changes us and the whole, referencing the part of verse 8, which says that when if God knows what we need before we even tell him, then what is the purpose of prayer? And I wondered if you could just touch on that specifically in relation to how how asking for bread is changing us what 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 realigning of our hearts is happening when we are when we're going to god and saying give us today our daily bread well i think that can a change us in so many different ways um, i think one of the things i touched upon ever so briefly um is that god is our provider you know we live in a society and environment there's so much talks about kind of like our independence and being self-made and you know um, you get what you deserve so if you work hard you know then you get what you deserve I think that's a lie (laughs) there's lots of people who work hard and get paid really poorly um, uh, because of other factors Um, but just that being reminded that God is our provider um, that what we have um, and this comes back to that kind of like, you know, we live differently because of who God is. That, that, that everything that we have, that what I have, is not actually mine in a modern sense of possession and ownership, but is a gift from God to use. Um, 
for my benefit, but also for the benefit of of others. Um, that that changes that changes us. The fact that I am praying our bread means that I'm not just praying for me, but I'm praying for you and Richard and your family and Ian and Anne and their family. Of of uh, I'm praying for brothers and sisters around the world. I mean, you can spend hours praying our daily bread when you then start to expand it out and 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 think I, I'm praying about the cost of living crisis um, and fuel poverty and. Uh, various kinds of poverty that people um, experience. So it broadens our horizon to remind ourselves of um, God is our provider. It challenges um, a propensity to hoard because we're worried about tomorrow. Um, I, I I've referred to Basil the Great several times, but Basil wrote a famous um, a sermon uh, during a time of famine um, in which he says, and he's he's drawing on the, the, the story where Jesus talks about the guy who goes to build another barn because he gets so much surplus. And he says, the barns that a Christian needs are not physical barns, but the stomachs of the poor. Um, of, you know, in a time of famine, how dare you, he basically says, hoard up stuff because you're worried about tomorrow when there's people that don't have enough for today. Um, that's challenging. That challenges, that challenges me. Um, mm. Of uh, challenges me to think about what is, um, what is surplus? What is too much? Do I have too many jackets or do I need the jackets that I have for various purposes? Because I live in the west coast of Scotland and the weather always changes and one jacket doesn't do. Uh, it, it forces me to think all those questions. At times, I don't know what the right answer is, but I think that in prayer, asking these questions is good because it alerts us to God has an opinion on this. And the kingdom changes things. And therefore, you know, the difference between me and my neighbour is not just what I do on a Sunday morning, um, I, but how I, I live all my life. Um, so prayer prayer changes us. Well, I'm feeling judged by Basil the Great, surrounded by barns and the farm and... Too many jackets. An, an unreasonable number of jackets. <laughs> Although I do have the excuse of being on a farm and needing an unreasonable number of jackets. But nonetheless, I feel I feel held in judgment by Basil the Great. <laughs> you have too many jackets. I, just to clarify. I, I do have I actually yeah, I do have too many jackets. I, and we are demolishing some barns, so so maybe maybe that's uh, what, one step further in godliness. <laughs> sorting out. <laughs> So while we take a break and we'll come back to Brodie in a minute, we're going to hear a little from Mary all about Messy Church. Hi, Mary here. We had a wonderful time on a Saturday at Messy Church exploring what it means to love God and love others. Messy Church is a wonderful opportunity for all ages to worship and have fun together. We meet on the first Saturday of the month at The Point. In March, we're looking at what it means uh, to love mothers and others. So we'd love for you to join us to explore that together. Visit qpbc.org for more information and to book. Look forward to seeing you. So that's Mary. You've heard about Messy Church. If you want to get involved, then reach out there. But for us, it's now time for a little distraction and uh, off the topic. Anyone want to go first? You should go off the topic first. Um, mine is uh, I know there's some West Wing fans on this particular podcast and there's some fans of the West Wing Weekly podcast which has Josh Molina and a guy called Rishi Kershaway I've probably butchered his name in saying that but Rishi also does another podcast called Song Exploder and to go even more tangential some of that has been picked up for Netflix so if music is your thing, Brody, I know music is your thing. I don't know if you've got access to Netflix. You should go and check out the Song Exploder. There's only eight songs, two CDs been done. Go and check out R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion Song Exploder. Absolutely fascinating, stunning interviews, just real top drawer 
top drawer musical documentary if that's the sort of thing you're interested in and you know rem losing my religion a really famous song for all sorts of reasons it's worth hearing what the band actually think of it themselves who's next mr mccauley i i have not had any culture or anything off the charts for the last week richard so i'm gonna um bail out if that's okay <laughs> watch more question time <laughs> Brody. Oh, I'm still trying to recover after the Scotland Wales game and what happened to my oh, blood pressure yeah. during the second half. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. dearie me. Um, I know, <laughs> so I don't have Netflix just now, so I've not even seen kind of like the Netflixes behind the scenes of last year's Six Nations. Um, mm-hmm. So we might get Netflix at, 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 at some point. Um, but yeah. Somebody will let you a password. It's fine. It's okay. I don't think that's stealing technically, is it? Maybe it is. Who knows? No, really yes, Richard, yes it is. <laughs> Jack. Well, you need to help me pronounce this game. Name? Game? Gosh, get my teeth in. So I listened, so I'd been listening to music on YouTube and randomly uh, a John Mark Comer interview came up and he was being interviewed by, is it Carrie, how do you say his name? Carrie Newhoff? Carrie Newhoff, okay. I think, is yeah, how he yeah. pronounces uh-huh. his name. Oh, right, okay. Yes. Right, I, I hadn't... Church, the church trends guy. Okay. Yes, yes. He, he's a kind of American, yeah, yeah. Good interviewer. Well, he, he and I hadn't spoken before, me and Carrie, so that was our, <laughs> that was our first little chat. Um, and he, so a couple of weeks ago, he did an interview with John Mark Homer uh, on crisis and discipleship in the church. I, it was fascinating. I did not agree with all of it. I had some thoughts. He didn't ask me my thoughts, so um, there was no space for right to reply or anything. But it was it was extremely interesting and challenging. And he talked about a number of issues. And it's if you're in the mood for being challenged, it's well worth a listen. I've just been watching a thing. Uh, he interviews a guy called John Christ. And I'll not go into any of the background of that. If you know that name, you'll know some of it. It is an interview w- worth watching just out recently as well on YouTube. But does he do a random cultural moment or distraction or whatever during the podcast that's that's what i really want to know that's that's where the professionals go okay okay (laughs) good stuff right let's get back to our our main event and i would first of all like to suggest that no better reason has ever been given as to why the church should serve donuts than uh, brody's donut economics it's a great book i have read it and in contravention of the Tony Campolo rule, there is no limit to the number of lawnmowers a man should have. (laughs) And none of my lawnmowers have ever rusted, they've only ever broken through overuse. (laughs) But other than that, this was all around the first of the one of the points you made, which was about God being a provider. We've obviously touched on that already, but is there anything in what you said that you particularly like to emphasise? I think the manna story, the over-provision and the whole donut economics thing, I think, is worth delving into a little bit more. Yeah. So what um, somebody who was out in the foyer heard me mention Kate and Donut, but didn't catch uh, Kate's surname, which is uh, Rayworth. So Googled Kate Donut and found her. So that's, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's, that's great. Um, I mean, I think uh, throughout Scripture we see God laying down a principle about limits and a concern for like the upper and lower limit for want of a a better expression. And that's not just got to do with stuff. I mean, I think one thing that a number of us have been reflecting upon uh, recently is um, uh, busyness and, you know, how we use our time. and there has been throughout a the history of the church um, uh, a concern for the poor and for not seeing people drop below a that limit of a what it means to be able to live um, and sustain life um, and a concern with um, hoarding or super, you know, having things that are superfluous, can't say that, hey, that word. Um, and, I mean, some older thinkers as well, I mean, basically, 
basically say that to hoard is to steal from your brother or sister because you have so much that they can't live. And there's a a truth, I think there's a kingdom principle in the axiom of live simply that others might simply live. Um, and that's that is difficult to do if we're worrying about tomorrow because we hoard stuff for a rainy day. Um, and some of that's wise. You know, um, if you're worried about your washing machine breaking, you need to know that you can get a new washing machine. Um, but it's when that's taken to excess. Um, and I think that's where the, the idea of the donut, I mean, Kate Rayworth's donut economics, the outer limits, primarily to do with kind of like exceeding environmental boundaries where I'm thinking, when I was thinking on, on Sunday was more of of that excess or hoarding or superfluous where how we treat stuff, um, how the world treats stuff. So there was the, the whole thing recently, wasn't there, about the guy who um, took Tesla or Elon Musk to court because of the bonus that they were wanting to pay him saying, that's not on, that's just too much. Who needs that much? How could anybody ever spend that or live on that? Um, and it's depriving everybody else. It's it's doing harm to others. Um, so the idea of, of excess and um, not enough um, causes is harm is, is, I think, a really powerful one. Mm. Uh, Kate Rayworth, interestingly, is Sophie Rayworth's sister, just for those that were thinking. I was thinking, I before. was thinking exactly that, really. Yes, they're sisters. Yes, who's, they're sisters. who's Sophie Rayworth? Sophie Rayworth's uh, BBC News, okay. just to bring it all back yeah, to question time. Go. So the, they, are, they are sisters, so they, there you have it. There's your factoid for the day uh, that you can tell your friend. She did She did respond to it, so I, I tweeted her to say... I really enjoyed your book. I think this is the modern day E.F. Schumacher. So E.F. Schumacher was a guy who wrote Small is Beautiful and was a Christian. Now, he was a bit too enamoured with coal <laughs> for, he hadn't heard of climate change. Um, <laughs> but again, a really powerful book. And in the end of his book, he can like talks about um, inequality and how... Uh, what happens when kind of like who's paid the least in a company and who's paid the most when that differential becomes too great. And that's certainly something that we have seen that difference grow exponentially. Um, Richard Wilkinson, and I can't remember his co-author, The Spirit Level was a book which looks at that and actually empirically what research has shown is that in societies where there is a greater inequality, everybody suffers so the wealthy suffer as well as the poor, where there is greater inequalities. And that suffering, inverted commas, um, is in terms of how health outcomes and all that sort of stuff. So the spirit level is is a really uh, speaks into this as well of, you know, a donut. The donut isn't huge. The breadth of the donut isn't huge, if you get what I mean. A reasonably thin donut, <laughs> um, I think, is is where where the kingdom leads us to. Yeah, and this leads us into kind of your second point, which was about uh, judgment and jealousy. Yeah, and you know, I am fortunate, unfortunate. What I'm not sure what the appropriate phrase would be, but I have been around people who are absolutely loaded. Like, I mean, like billionaires, multimillionaires, hundreds of you know, and can go and buy anything they want. And you see them go into rooms whereby there are people that are richer than them. And you can tell that they're jealous, you know, because he owns a garage full of Ferraris rather than just one. And it's really, really odd to see that happen, especially when you're like, you know, you're friendly with someone who's uber wealthy and you're like, you then meet them in a context where they're at the bottom of the financial pyramid. And it just reflects all the way down, you know. So where do, how do we prevent, you know, we're a big church. We have people across the economic, political, social, whatever spectrum you want to call it. How do we prevent that kind of judgment and jealousy working in all the directions that it could potentially work and influence? Ian, Brody, Jack? Well, just, just on your, your point, I can remember uh, years ago when... Pete Foster was part of uh, the team. He preached a Sunday night sermon where he quoted uh, Rockefeller 
of mm-hmm. you know who was what at that time I think the richest man in the world and somebody apparently asked Rockefeller how much is enough and he said just a little bit more yeah yeah you know mm. um, and I think where I was going with the judgment and jealousy thing is do you know what it's so easy to go there so so easy to go there and yet we we know that the spirit looks to bind us together um or bond us together as a family, as a community. And one of the things that judgment and jealousy do is is separate us. It pits us against each other, us against them. Um, It leads to, you know, you can't be genuinely nice to each other and love each other if you're in judgment and jealousy of each other. Um, So it's really toxic. I think it starts with with looking at ourselves and you know why why am i feeling those feelings um and remembering that you don't have you don't have the whole picture somebody can be looking to be doing really well and you know what they've maxed out their overdraft and goodness knows what to the hill and and actually what they need is help <laughs> um, because they're not doing doing very well so don't know if Ian's got some thoughts. I'm sure he has because he's wise. Yeah, just just a couple of thoughts, uh, folks. One is that there are a number of things that everybody pretty much has equally. So we all have a soul, and we all have a limited lifespan, um, and those actually are the those are the two richest gifts that any of us can have, um, and so. I think one of the things we can do as a Christian community is to recalibrate what wealth is. Um, And, you know, you can gain the whole wide world, as Jesus says, and lose your soul, uh, you know, which is tragic. Um, So there is something about valuing our souls and valuing the time that we have and, you know, appreciating and enjoying what we have. You can know, people, I, I... you know, who have a whole lot of Ferraris in the garage, uh, to quote Richard, but don't actually enjoy the experience of driving. Um, and, and there is something about slowing down to appreciate and enjoy what you have um, and extracting the fulfilment from what is around you um, that we need to do. I think we can all... S- so I think I think that's where Brody ended up, which was about contentment, you know, and godliness with contentment is great gain. And I think that's something that we actually need to, part of our task as a, as a church community is about shifting values and recalibrating values. And so if we can um, help one another to see the contentment and the richness of a soul that is being transformed in Christ is actually worth a lot more than doing stuff or achieving stuff Um, and then actually recognising that we each have one life and there's a number of ways in which that can be fulfilled and just accumulating stuff can actually be quite corrosive to our souls rather than actually being something that that um, that is helpful so I think that that's kind of what I would say is just look at you know changing the price tags on what actually counts as being valuable is 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 something that we can do and something that's really important um small example of that um <coughs> i once was given the opportunity to have um an afternoon um with someone's um bmw sports car with a with a drop top um and to race along the highway on it and go for an ice cream <laughs> um and the, advan- the only advantage in that, um, now I'm somebody who could be really corrupted by uh, fast cars and convertible cars. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I know. And, um, <laughs> yeah, but the only advantage of this vehicle, because you still have to keep to the speed limit that everybody else keeps to, so you have no advantage in having the speed. The only advantage in having this car was that other people thought you were going fast and so they pulled over for you. Um, and so I had my afternoon... And then I kind of came back to my <laughs> own little car um, and realised that actually the the experience of driving my own little car 
and the experience of driving this expensive, fancy car was not actually that different. And if you had to put a monetary value on it, the difference in driving the fancy car to my car wasn't worth the money. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had the experience, walked away, enjoyed it for the afternoon. But do you know what? I would think it would be a waste of money to, <laughs> to purchase a car like that. I would rather spend my money on something else. So that it's kind of interesting when you actually dig into it that there isn't fulfillment in some things that you think there might be fulfillment in. The ice cream was the highlight. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I, 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 yeah, the ice cream addiction has continued, if maybe not the car addiction. <laughs> I think as well, kind of like uh, building upon what Ian was saying of, of you know, changing the price tags or what is it that we value? And the challenge for church in general, I think, in many respects, is how we value each other. Um, and recognising the... Um, so there's a temptation, I think, in, in church to um, to draw upon those who are successful in the, the world's eyes to help shape what we do as church, and thereby we miss some precious kingdom gifts. Remember um, James H. Cone kind of like telling the story of how kind of like Mr. Franklin, who was the janitor, you know, when he came into church on Sunday, dressed in his suit. He was the church superintendent. And just of that, he called it a Kairos moment, of that that God time moment, how this person who was looked down upon for the rest of the week on a Sunday was somebody because of who he was in Christ. Now, then how you hold that kind of like being somebody kind of thing, but that reconfiguration of... Um, the gifts that are among us um, in each other, the treasure which is hidden in uh, these earthly jars um, doesn't always equate to, and you know what, you've done well with regards to stuff that you have. Um, there's there's also a piece to all of this, isn't there, about that we are accountable to God to steward the, th the things that each of us have and that there's different responsibilities to each of us depending on our circumstances and that that's a really important piece for it is it's easy to envy another person's position but they're accountable to god for how they steward that um and and a lot of responsibility can come with that as well um so it's important yeah and that partly comes back to the judgment thing as well and that's one of the things i said oh do you know what we i don't have all the facts and information i don't know what's going on i don't know how somebody's using it, you know, and we we so often can go and surface appearances on so many different ways, not just economically, but on so many different ways with people's lives, um, and and come to to wrong uh, judgments, um, and in many respects, you know, in coming to a wrong judgment of somebody, I'm bearing false witness um, of who they are and and, and etc. So. It's so easy to do. I think it's it's such a temptation eh, for us in many ways, both up and down. So I talked about kind of like, you know, how easy it is to judge somebody who we think is poor or, or not doing well and, you know, blame shift or, or whatever. Um, when we, we don't know all that's going on and, and, and eh, what's happening. Um, so, yeah. So your final kind of point was about participation in the community of Shalom. So I... Which is, I guess, the place where there is no judgment, there is no jealousy. What is the one thing we could do as individuals or as a church to remove judgment and jealousy where it, where it may exist? Is there a habit or a speaking into a situation that we could be encouraged on? I think um, nip it in the bud. Um, you know, be a frequent gardener of your heart. Um, so I, I, I prayer going back to set prayer. So I, I do, um, not quite daily, but but nearly daily, daily pray the Lord's prayer. I also not quite daily, but nearly daily, daily pray what's known as the Jesus prayer, um, which uh, is a very simple prayer. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, 
and it's just a reminder of I god I mess up I mess up so often of you know what is what are the weeds that are growing in my heart um, and of when I find myself because you know jealousy is something that I have struggled with of of being jealous of of nipping that in the the, the bud um, because it, it starts to distort not just your view of that person but it distorts your view of God and, and damages your relationship with God um, so my advice would be uh, nip it in the bud um, let's rejoice and celebrate each other I think you know actually QP uh, is full of wonderful generous people um, so this isn't uh, kind of like, oh, we're doing terribly at this. I actually think as a church, we get a lot of this stuff right. Um, but jealousy and judgment are really powerful. Um, we see it on our news screens every day. Uh, people end up in part of the, 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 the criminal justice system because jealousy and judgment have led them to do terrible things. Um, uh, so it's power to corrupt our hearts and destroy uh, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with God is is incredible. So let's nip it in the bud and and repent frequently and daily um, when we find ourselves slipping into that. Yeah, just one kind of practice. It's a real personal challenge at the moment. I feel quite convicted about, um, and it's the phrase "stop mind reading." And um, we've kind of learned that from um, some of the stuff we've done as a, as, as a staff team around emotionally healthy discipleship. Um, to mind read is to assume that I know what you're thinking and what your motives are, um, which is a bit of an arrogant um, imagining um, because I don't. But we do it all the time. I, we imagine that you have got really suspicious motives um, and my motives are innocent, pure and clean. And I think one of the things that we can do, because we get into these whole kind of um, suspicious narratives about other people and, and come into what um, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 calls judge, judgmentalism, that we actually begin to come to a conclusion about other people. So I would just kind of say one of the things that we need to do is is to stop mind reading and be curious. Just ask people about themselves and, and learn their, what they see themselves to be rather than what we think they are. Um, and it just, I think once you sort of start seeing something, you see it everywhere. But my little kind of statement, little maxim for the day, um, I heard from somebody uh, say, don't assume it makes an ass of you and me. Well, we'll move from that to some final comments. So Jack, why don't you lead us away with a final thought? I mean, apart from the fact that I'm thinking quite a lot about donuts, which is probably quite concerning. <laughs> and also the donut that, that my niece got from the Grow Cafe in Air, which was like a giant mm -hmm. donut last week. Sorry, this random The fact you're living in a farm is there's never a donut shop near enough when you want one. No, true. Uh, so just I was just thinking about um, the verses, the verse from look at the birds they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns and so on. And then also thinking about the verse in Matthew 10, which talks about um, not a sparrow falls without God knowing about it. And for me in my daily life, I am, I am outside in, in a barn with birds flying all, all the time round about. And oftentimes also birds falling to the ground um, and dying. And I remember that happening a couple of years ago, that was a wee, a wee baby sparrow that, that died and remember feeling like, just remembering that that God knew about that and God was completely aware of that one little bird and so therefore how much more was he aware about me and feeling that in the context of give a give me us our daily bread and feeling just so um challenged by his knowledge of my needs and his awareness of me and my circumstances and his ability to hold all of us in his hands um and to be confident in that great stuff ian I think I've probably said my last words. <laughs> can we just leave it <laughs> what I said before? <laughs> That's fine. We can just we can just run the assumption game. So uh, right then, Brody, final word to you as you preach the sermon. Yeah, I mean, I think getting practical again, and how do we form ourselves so that we are abiding in God's shalom? And a, a good thing to do is to practice gratitude, um, of giving thanks. 
um, and being grateful. Um, uh, and I think that helps lead us to that place of, of contentment. So daily, whether it's kind of like in the morning or as you go to bed, of, of giving thanks for God's provision for that day um, and for uh, what you have. Um, sometimes that can feel that, you know, it was just enough to get me through today. Um, but giving thanks um, for what we have and giving thanks for each other or being grateful for uh, uh, for each other, I think is a, a helpful antidote as well for that judgmentalism and um, a, a jealousy of, of giving thanks uh, for each other. Excellent. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you, lady and gentlemen, for doing this this morning. Great sermon, great chat. Really enjoyed that. Uh, what can we expect this coming Sunday? Oh, well, we hold on to your hats, brace yourself. Um, we're doing unforgiveness and forgiveness this oh. week. So I don't want people coming off, eh, deciding they're going to have the day <laughs> off. But actually, forgiveness is good for you. And so we're going to have a good dose of forgiveness, hopefully, on Sunday. Good stuff. So we expect the, the, the rafters to be filled to the, the church to be filled to the gunnels or completely deserted, depending whether you manage to listen to this podcast in advance of knowing what Sunday's going to be about. Well, thank you all very much for listening again, and uh, tune in again next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.